welcome to the Harvest Seymour podcast. Come check us out and see how God is moving in this community. If you would like to know more, check out our Facebook page, or you can visit us at hcfseymour.org. Have a wonderful day. I want to go ahead and get started then this morning with today's word. We've been on the 2020 vision series. And I guarantee you, churches all over the U.S., probably all over the world are doing vision series right now at this time. Because, I mean, come on, 2020, it's like a setup, you know? But, I mean, at the same time, I think God does things like that to get us to wake up, you know, and, to, and really lay hold of the things that He's been saying. And so, we are in our 2020 vision series. And if you've noticed that uh, uh, we've got a new logo we um, uh, designed by Sarah Clower, who grew up here, was a part of our church for, uh, for a number of years, and and we got uh, these cutout signs in, in metal, and, and thank you, uh, Brant and Trey, for cutting those things out. Look good. Appreciate that. Uh, so, so take it all in. Our core values are back over there. Our vision statement is right up there above the door. And then outside, out here as well, is, is um, some of that. We've got a new website coming uh, that Caleb has been working on, designing. And, and uh, dude, there's so many cool things. I mean, going to text to give, all this kind of stuff. He's been busting it out behind the scenes. Ain't nobody knowing about what he's doing. It's great. <laughs> and so, but it is a unique time to be alive. It's a, it's a real unique time to be alive. It's, uh, it's the year 2020. God is breathing fresh vision in the earth. It's the 20th year of this church's ministry. Our, the scripture for our church for this year that the Lord gave me is actually John 2020. And that is that we would see him, that we would know him, that he'd walk through the walls of our life. Amen. And disturb us a little so that we can lay hold of what he's doing. But whenever it comes to vision and values, there's always this question, why do we got to talk about that? Can't we just focus on Jesus? Well, I want you to know that true vision is obedience to his desire. Matter of fact, it says in Proverbs 29, 18, it says that without vision, people perish. Without prophetic vision, people perish. Vision is obedience to his desire. So in becoming a disciple of Jesus, he doesn't just want us to learn something or just do something. He wants us to become something. Amen? And see, here's the deal. When a church embraces God-given vision and values, it's to become more like Jesus and to fulfill His desire. See, God, God breathes vision and values and the work that He calls us to should always call us higher into Jesus. And so whenever we take time to write these things down, it actually provides clarity. And so over the past 20 years of this church's ministry, it's been worked on a lot. It's been tweaked on a lot. But the goal has always been clarity. Clarity, clarity, clarity to know what he's doing. And so these phrases and things that you'll see throughout this entire series is actually things that God has been working into us as a body of believers. I know for sure for the past 10 years. Amen? And so if you've been here 10 years or less, no one's pulling the rug out from underneath you. 
Amen. Well, they're changing everything up there at that church, you know. No, that, that's not what's happening. This is providing clarity to lay hold of what God's doing and then run with it. Amen. And so I want to give you, now I'm not a math person, but I can do some equations, okay? So here's an equation. Who plus work equals what? Who plus work equals what? So who, let's just, let me put it to you this way. Don't look at the screen, look at me. A farmer is a who. The work is to sow a field. Right? For the what? The harvest. See, a farmer sows a field to get a harvest. In the same way, in the same way, who, us, when we're clear about who you are. Of all you farmers in here, have you ever thought about doing anything else? Some farmers can only, I just, all I can do is farm. If I don't farm, I don't know what I'll do. It's just who I am, right? In the same way, when we identify who we are, when we function in who we are, when everything flows from our identity and we put our hand to the work that God has assigned to us, then we can expect the right outcome to come about, okay? So here, here's what I'm talking about. So whenever I talk about the who, I'm talking about core values, things that speak to identity, and so the, those are the four statements that are on that back wall. So if you ever have questions or you forget what our identity is or what our core values, they'll always be right there on that wall, okay? The Jesus-centered life, that everything about my life would be centered on Jesus. The second one is that God is good. I want you to know that's an identity statement. We're going to be talking about that today. The third one is love people well. We may not be perfect, but we want to do a good job at it. We want to love people in a healthy way. Amen. And then fourthly, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible. And so whenever you have four statements like that to help give shape to your identity, it helps you to flow in who you are, right? Whenever you can identify what those values are, it allows you to flow in your identity. Amen. So what's the work? Connecting real people to a real God. As soon as people walk through those front glass doors, they're going to see a sign on there right on that front wall. What's Harvest all about? What do they do around there? We're all about connecting real people to a real God. So whenever we live out our identity, whenever we commit to the work, we believe the outcome to be revival. So whenever I'm living a Jesus-centered life, and I've got my hand to the plow of connecting real people to a real God. It's in hopes and in faith that God would move. Amen? Bring revival. So check it out. Here's a real-life illustration. This is what I mean. Let's just say you're really growing in living the Jesus-centered life, trying to make Him the center of all that you're doing. And you get up and you go to work one day. And you hear a conversation in the office about a co-worker who's facing just a really a difficult situation. And so, because you're trying to live the Jesus-centered life and you're trying to embrace His ways and you're not going to give in to fear, you go like, you know what? 
I got to get over myself. I'm just going to go say, hey, I heard that you had this going on. I know it sounds like an impossible situation, but do you mind if I just pray for you or pray with you and agree with you? Yeah, sure. So you grab hands and you begin to pray. Then, bam, oh, God just breaks through the way that only he can do, right? And see, when God breaks through and answers that prayer, that's revival being downloaded into that situation. All you were doing is connect, you know, all you were doing is being a Jesus-centered person, decided to step out of your comfort zone and decided to be that agent that helps connect people to a real God, right? Just by saying, can I pray for you? And then God does the rest, right? And that's God moving. Is this making sense to you? Okay. All right. So that's just a real-life illustration. And so last week we talked about the Jesus-centered life and how religion, church, and good deeds will never be enough. We need a real-life relationship with Jesus. And if you want to hear more on that, you can listen online. But today we're going to focus on the second core value God is good. I'm going to have three truths about his goodness. I want to just start right here. Exodus 33, verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Let's pray. Lord, this morning... I pray, Father, today, Lord, that we would just open up our eyes and our heart, Lord, just to get a glimpse of your goodness and knowing that you are good. Father, today I just ask, Father, by your grace, that we would taste and see that you are good. Father, I pray, Father, right now, just for the spirit of revelation on the word, open our eyes and open our heart. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray right now. Amen. Finish this statement if you know it. God is good all the time. Right. Now, that's fun to say, right? Man, we ought to need a healthy dose of that from time to time. Amen. And nothing wrong with that either. But how many of you know that that can get, just like so many other things, just get cliche? And it's just something you say, it's cool, it's religious, but at the same time, you don't live it. See, phrases like that are really meant, the intention behind it is to teach. It's to impart real life. It's to develop thought, a way of seeing life. It's, it's a... Those things are meant to help us or help reveal God and, and His intentions in our life when we do things like that. And it's really cool until you get confronted by life. That's, that's really great, and then life just slaps you right in the face. This past Sunday, Kobe Bryant, NBA superstar, and, and his daughter were and seven others were tragically killed in a, in a helicopter. It's been all over the news. All, all of L.A. has been on TV, either honoring him or, or, or in some way trying to remember him. But obviously, a lot of the nation has been moved by that because it was just so out of the blue. And 
But the natural question in light of, of tragic events is God really good? When life just rears up and smacks you in the face, is he really good, even in terrible events? And see, it's the really, it's hard questions brace us like that. When they brace us like that, and if we don't have clear answers, a lot of times it makes us stumble. We turn, people turn their back on God. People get offended with God, or, or they all of a sudden they decide, well, he must not be there because God must not be real because all of this has been happening in my life. Scripture says, though, everyone is appointed to die. Some live a long, full life. Others are taken way too soon. But it's in the goodness of God that even in our death, He's made provision to live forevermore. Death doesn't even get the final say. We can say God is good in the light of death. Why? Because we live even though we die. See, God's goodness will never be defined by, limited by, or fully expressed by the circumstances of your life. It'll never happen. Ah, probably like many of you, I've seen people pick themselves up off the ground of tragedy, off brokenness, and profess the Lord is good. I've seen people do that, and I'm sure you have too. But it's like they, it's almost like they've seen something that no one else can see. That even when their face is on the ground and they're broken and they're hurt, they get up and say, the Lord, He is good. It's like they have seen something and have tasted something that ain't nobody else can see. Because His goodness will never be measured by your circumstances. So here's the first truth this morning. Number one, He is good. Let's just look at this Exodus passage again. And He said, please show me your glory. This is Moses talking to the Lord. He says, and please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And so Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord responds, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. God revealed his glory as being goodness. Now, honestly, in my walk, just to be straight up with you, when I understood that God's glory was His goodness, honestly, I was disappointed. Because I'm like, really, is that it? Just that you're good, is that it? Surely there's got to be something more. Can anybody relate to that? Because in my mind, it just seems so trivial. And I'm like, man, your glory is goodness? What a letdown. But honestly, my, my understanding was pretty shallow. But what I want us to see here from in this passage is that the Lord is actually making an identity declaration of himself. See, earlier in, in the book of Exodus, the Lord made another identity statement. Whenever he, the first encounter he had with Moses... 
Whenever Moses asked him, whom shall I say has sent me to the people? Whenever God's given him this great mission to go talk to Israel, who am I going to say sent me? He says, tell him I am. I am has sent me. You tell him that. And he just said, I am. He didn't say, I am Bill. He didn't say, he didn't even say, I am Yahweh. He just said, I am. Can I get more clarity on that, Lord? You see, here's the deal. Of all the infinite qualities he could have chosen in that moment, he left it open-ended. But now, by the time we get to Exodus 33, Moses has had many encounters with the Lord. And it says, Scripture says that they spoke as friends. And so Moses musters up the courage, Lord, show me your glory. In other words, when he says, show me your glory, show me the weightiness of who you are. I want to know your face. I want to know your hand. I want to know your character. I want to know your presence. I want, I want to know you in a more intimate way. We've been hanging out as friends. We've been having this long, crazy journey together. But now, can you please tell me who you are. And so and the Lord says, I will show you all my goodness. Of all the infinite qualities that he could have chosen to describe himself, he sums it up right here. I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. Then he says, now, Mo, my goodness is, in fact, so good, it's dangerous. My goodness, Moses, is dangerous. I've got to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I've, I've got to put my hand over you, and you're only going to get to see my back. So he's doing, you know, one of these numbers here, okay? He says, I've got to hide you. In the cleft of the rock, his goodness is so intense, so powerful, that our lives, in order to not get nuked by his goodness, our lives have to be hidden in the cleft of the rock whose name is Jesus Christ. His goodness is so good that our lives have to be nestled safely into the person of Christ so we don't get vaporized by looking at his goodness. Because I'm telling you, I want you to think about this. This is the Lord who spoke, and it was so. Check this out. He speaks, and worlds were formed. Everything that he created... He then assigned a value to it. What did he say? It's good. After he created all the different things, he goes down the list. All the things. That's good. All things in heaven and earth that have been created, that are created, are derived from his goodness. When you wake up in the morning and you walk across that dirt field, when you walk across the living room, when you walk through the earth, you are literally walking on His goodness. 
the air you breathe in, boy, I'm breathing in his goodness. The sun that shines, that'll hopefully warm up real soon, <laughs> is his goodness shining on you. For me to see God as anything but good, I disconnect myself from intimately knowing him. For me to assign a quality to him that is not goodness, that is not good, I don't get the chance to intimately know him. But even in your blindness, even in your offense, even in your anger, even in your throwing up your hands, it will not stop him from being good. I love the fact that there's times I've been offended and angry with God, but he did not give up on me. He was relentless in his goodness. Matter of fact, he chased me down with his goodness. Matter of fact, our repentance is built on his goodness. It says, Apostle Paul says that it is, it is his kindness that leads me to repentance. You can't even repent to God without him being good to you. Here's the second truth. The celebration of his goodness is true worship. In the Old Testament, after Moses had his second encounter, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, after Moses, the second recorded massive encounter that the Lord had with the people of Israel was when Solomon and the people of Israel had completed the building of the temple. They had a hallelujah, massive breakdown, celebratory, awesome experience. But this moment right here with Solomon and the completion of the temple, it was the pinnacle moment in their history. It was they, this was the height, the height of heights for them. And so the Israel, or I'm sorry, Jerusalem became the envy of nations, and all the nations were flowing to Jerusalem. People wanted to see it. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, and that's where I'm, I'm, I'm headed, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, they had just completed the, uh, the, the building of the temple, and they got the Ark of the Covenant. It's on their shoulders, right? The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? Remember Indiana Jones, right? Okay. It's, it's not quite biblical, but you know. But anyhow. But that's this symbol of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. It was how he covenanted his presence to be among the people. It was like a golden treasure box, okay? And they're carrying it in, the priests are, and there's just this massive worship band. There's like this marching. If you could put Texas A&M, Texas Tech, all these marching bands together, they're ushering in the presence of the Lord. And they set the Ark down in center stage where it belongs, and we pick it up. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. Are you getting the scene here? Okay. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. 
And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They centered around his presence. They began to worship for he is good, and a cloud descends. See, when, when we worship, worship is not a sing-along. But, it's, but worship happens amongst the body when we as one people from the core of our being say he is good. You see, it says in, in, in the Psalms, we enter his courts through thanksgiving. You remember this? Right? Why are we giving thanks? Because of how good he's been. Right? And so whenever in our core being and on the depths of who we are, we begin to declare that he is good, that's when true worship really begins to happen. And so the Lord responds and the house gets filled with the tangible cloud of His goodness, of His glory. The people fall down on their face. It's just awesome. And then after this moment, you read chapter 6, Solomon manages to get back to his feet. And he prays, his, he prays out his heart to the Lord. And then we come to chapter 7, verse 1. And check this out. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how fire came down from heaven, right? And the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever. So check this out. God sent the cloud. He sent the fire. God consumed the sacrifice with the fire. God sent his glory. God revealed himself, but the people worshiped. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. See, the only right response to his goodness is worship. When life hits you like a ton of bricks, worship. Job, y'all remember Job? After he lost all of his kids lost all of his possessions, lost everything in his life, says that he fell to his knees and worshiped God. Because here's the deal. He's good even when I don't understand. His goodness will never be limited by my circumstances. Look, if you're always waiting for your circumstances to change before you worship, your faith will always be circumstantial. Third truth, transformed by his goodness. 
2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here's the imagery that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, looking and beholding the face of the Lord is like beholding in a mirror. It's like you're looking into a glory mirror. And whenever you look into this mirror, of, of whenever you're beholding the Lord, there's a lot of things that you're going to see. You're going to see His goodness. You're going to see His glory. You're going to see Him. Then you know what? You're going to see Him in you because it's a mirror. You're seeing Him, but you're seeing you. Then you get a vision all of a sudden of His goodness in you. Whenever your eyes get open to see His goodness in you, then all of a sudden you come to faith and you go like, that's who I am. It has a transformative effect. How does that happen? You're just seeing His glory, but you're seeing Him. But in seeing Him, you're seeing Him and you. Then you see you. Then you see His goodness and you see glory. It's crazy. <laughs> but in that mirrored face-to-face encounter, you are being transformed by looking at His glory, which is His, come on, let's say it like you know it, goodness, there you go. What would it be like if you just saw yourself from the perspective of His goodness all over your life? I think the key to our breakthrough is not trying harder. It's seeing better. What, what if you just stopped trying harder and you just in your prayers were like this, God help me to see better. I wanna I wanna see better how you see me. I, I wanna see what Jesus' goodness plus me really looks like. I want to get a vision, God, of your goodness in my life so that I can come to faith and start to live like it's a reality because in heaven it is a reality. Am I messing with you? Praise the Lord. And I'm about ready to wrap up right here, so here we go. God was good when he introduced me to my wife when my kids were born. He was good whenever I was afraid, when I had no money. He was good when I lost loved ones that lost lost them too soon. He was good whenever I was promoted. He was good whenever I was delivered from sin. He was good... Whenever I was unemployed, he was good when I failed. He was good whenever I lost myself. He's good when I was brought back home. He was always good. 
in all circumstances, at all times. He is good. Why? Because his goodness will never be measured by my circumstances. It won't be measured. It won't be limited. It won't be defined by. But in his goodness, he visits me in my circumstances, in my brokenness, in my flaws, in my weakness, in my frailty, in my humanity, in all the ways that I mess up, he shows up. His goodness is who he is. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All of the world, all of creation, is derived from the goodness of God. Mankind was created in the image of God. Man is an expression of the goodness of God. But when sin entered in through Adam and Eve, we were disconnected. But then it says in Romans, like this, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And so what did the father do? The father decided to do something about it. Something had disconnected us from all of the goodness that he wanted to pour out into our life. And so he decided to do something about it. He decided to give his only begotten son, Jesus. See, God is so good that he gave his only son to die a sinner's death on a cross and pay for all of our sin. How can we ever say God is not good when he did not even withhold his own son? See, terrible things, bad circumstances happen in life. But it doesn't measure his goodness. What does measure his goodness is that he did not withhold his own son. That kind of goodness for me, and I don't know about you, but it's far above all I can think or imagine. This broken world is full of broken people that he sent his son to save. And people say things like, how can God be good if he allowed this to happen or this happened or that happened? How can God be good if, well, I'll tell you, God so loved the world that he gave. 
Well, what about this? God so loved the world that he gave. You know, I think sometimes it's really easy to be offended with God. Things didn't work out the way you had wanted or or you were hoping for this and that happened or you really believed, you were praying hard and you thought this was going to happen, God was going to answer this prayer and it doesn't happen. It's really easy to get offended with God. But those offenses that you have with God actually become a wall. It's a wall that you try to keep God back. Whenever you build that wall to keep God at arm's distance, what ends up happening to you is that you end up spiritually dying. You try to hold off actually God's goodness. So this morning, if you're in this place of just being frustrated with God or you have just hard questions you don't know and you're not even really sure if you can trust Him, can I just tell you, I know your circumstances may be bad. But they don't hold a candle to His goodness. If I can encourage you in any way today, if you have a wall, Lower that wall. Because you need to know his, the reason you're here today because His goodness is chasing you down. He's got a plan for your life. Amen? I don't want to embarrass anybody today, but if you've been in a place, you've been offended with God, you've been angry at Him, Things didn't work out the way you hoped. If that's you today, all I'm going to ask you to do is just slip up your hand and I just want to pray over you. You've been dealing with a lot of anger. Okay, I see one, two, three, four. Okay. And so, Father, I just ask God grace right now over these individuals that are being honest, Lord, right now about where they're at. God, I just ask, Lord, right now, Lord, that they just begin to drop the walls, Lord. Just even where you're at, just place your, if, that, if you raised your hand, I want you to put your hand on your heart. I just want to pray over you. You say, Lord Jesus, by faith right now, I'm lowering my walls. I'm lowering my walls. I'm releasing my offenses right now. There's been a lot of things that I don't understand. And I ask, Holy Spirit, open my eyes right now that I might see your goodness.
And so right now, I think the Holy Spirit is just opening your eyes. You're doing it right now. I can can just sense it. And I want you to just begin to thank the Lord for how he has been good, how he has made a way, how he has brought you out of some, some hard places in life. you're here this morning and you've been holding up a wall and and you've never really surrendered your life to Christ today. If if you've never really said, God, I'm giving you the reins and have never really walked that out. If you've never, if you always kind of kept God and the God stuff at arm's distance and you go like, and and your heart is pounding a million times a minute and your hands are sweating. I want you to know that's probably God talking to you. But if you, if you feel like the Lord is tugging on your heart right now and you want to give your heart, if you're ready to surrender today, I want you to slip up your hand. If you're ready to surrender your life to Christ today for the first time ever. I'm going to give you a moment here. Now, we're having a baptism next week. And if the Lord is tugging on your heart that it's time for you to be baptized, I want you to come and and visit with one of these individuals up here and and just tell them the news that I'm ready to surrender my life and take that next step of getting baptized. And um, I encourage you to come and do that. Now, I just want to pray a general prayer over all of you. So, Father, I thank you, Father that you visit our lives with your goodness, God. You are good even when we can't see it. God, God, you are good even when we don't even understand, Lord. God, you are good in all awful circumstances. Lord, you are good all the time, Lord. And so, Father, right now, just as the believers, Lord, we refuse to hold offenses, Lord. We refuse to be offended with God. We refuse to shake our fist at God. And Lord, we release all anger right now in Jesus' name, God. There will be no place in our heart, Lord, against you, Father. And so, Father, open our eyes, Lord, that we might see how good you are. God, we we, uh, put the days of shaking our fist at you behind us, Lord. And Lord, we set our eyes and our heart, Lord, to worship you. God, may our hearts erupt with gratitude, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed day.